Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. Today we are joined by Dr. Jen Lee. Dr. Lee is a health psychologist with expertise in sexual health, oncology, public health, LGBTQI and other underserved populations, and mental health. She is a retired professor of psychology and nursing and a current healthcare administrator and researcher. Dr. Lee is passionate about helping people feel comfortable in their own skin and teaching people tangible ways to be empowered and fulfilled in some of life's most intimate and sensitive experiences, including romantic relationships. Dr. Lee, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me today. So what we want to explore is a little bit in the realm of the female experience when a male partner is encountering erection issues or erection challenges like erectile dysfunction. We really want to get to the heart of what is she really thinking? This is important, I think, both for female partners to be able to hear, as well as for men to get more of a perspective. I think a lot of times men are very, very concerned and worried about what their partners are actually thinking. So today we want to have Dr. Lee lend us her experience and expertise around this topic. So just to get us started, Dr. Lee, can you just share with us a little bit about your work and your research? Yes, absolutely. So I came about working with uh, sexual health uh, a, a little bit indirectly, which sounds like it seems like that's how we all kind of get to our areas of passion. Um, I was uh, working in oncology and and I found a lot of women and men who were really struggling with sexual health and uh, the ability to partake in romantic relationships because of how uh, their cancer treatments or their cancer surgeries, um, which is a treatment, of course, but the disfiguration or the hormonal changes that happen with medication or treatment or removing of, of organs. And so that's kind of how it started um, in a relatively safe space where people felt more comfortable talking about intimacy because it was around the the topic of cancer, um, and, and people knew that I was um, an oncology expert. And from there, um, I, you know, I am a health psychologist focusing a lot on lifestyle and, and behavioral uh, choices for um, for better health or for how to maintain health. And so I, I kind of lucked out that I started working um, with Dr. Amy Perlman, who's been on your show. Uh, we were at the University of Iowa and we saw this great need to talk about sexual health and and to uh, help providers and patients uh, feel more comfortable talking about sexual health. And as soon as we opened the door to that topic, really a, a lot of interest and need was uh, brought right to us from patients, providers, uh, public health officials, all over. It, it was kind of the, as you know, taboo topic that no one wanted to talk about. And so it wasn't being addressed. And um, of course, there's not only health implications of that, but it, you know, it's just the most intimate thing about being a human. And yet people don't even share it with their partner or even comfortable talking about it themselves, thinking about their own body. 
Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely uh, one of the uh, most taboo topics, and it does continue to a certain sense to be that way. Obviously, uh, people like yourself, this podcast, myself, are trying to work toward destigmatizing a lot of these topics, helping people to talk about it, but it certainly continues to be that way. Currently, what is your research focus? My research focus, uh, well, I have quite a few uh, areas of research, so I didn't answer that question earlier. Uh, A lot of my work involves um, the psychosocial correlates of uh, chronic and acute illness, and and particularly how it affects uh, our life experiences and the quality of life after different health conditions or different injuries. For example, uh, I have a few recent publications about multiple sclerosis um, and how a diet, quality of life, sexual health, and many other factors affect people's experiences with multiple sclerosis. But also most importantly to me is not only how it affects the disease of multiple sclerosis, but how people can actually modify those factors and improve their multiple sclerosis prognosis. So I really try and focus on a a full um, picture approach where it's the things that might make your disease worse, but also some of them are very modifiable. So we can actually use those to our to our benefit. Uh, that is where most of the work is done. Um, and I should say too that my um, dissertation was on the psychology of pain. And so I came across a lot of topics and um, discussions related to pelvic pain in, in males and females and just the trauma that happened with with painful health conditions or just pain from prior trauma. And and I know you uh, talk about trauma a lot, and I've seen that come up repeatedly with uh, sexual health. But I also want to clarify, you don't have to have had trauma to have sexual health concerns. Um, I know you know that, but uh, I think sometimes people think, oh, they have sexual health problems. There must be trauma. And that's the first thing that people go to. But um, as you always talk about, it's, it's multifactorial. Yeah, it's it 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 really is a a complex process, but I do I do hear that from a lot of people, and again, I think that's something we talk about on this podcast. Uh, people want to find a simple answer because I think it makes grappling with these challenges a little bit easier. Even though trauma is not the easiest thing in the world to be grappling with, at least it gives you a single answer. Generally speaking, things are way more complex. Now, Doctor Lee, we kind of shift into the topic of erectile dysfunction, which. Um, you know, certainly can be a source of emotional, psychological, relational pain, uh, but it also can be an outgrowth of uh, chronic illness or grappling with treatment for chronic illness and whatnot. So um, in your experience, what are some of the most common concerns that men who are um, experiencing erectile dysfunction, what are the, what, what are some of their most common concerns? Most common is... Um... I'm the only one. Uh, I'm I'm alone. Nobody else has experienced this, or none of my uh, friends have ever experienced anything like this. So there must be something wrong with me. Uh, what did I do wrong? Um, you know, I see a lot of fear too around: Is my partner going to leave me and try and find somebody who doesn't struggle with ED-related um, concerns? And and so to me, it's almost like this silent tornado that just goes around and around often in um, in a man's head. And we, you would talk a lot about psychogenic causes and um, people often say, oh, it's it's psychological cause versus medical cause. Well, the brain is a medical and biological 
organ. And so I don't think we need to, I don't think anyone should ever be dismissive about uh, psychogenic causes because it is, it is biological, right? But that is the main thing is I'm alone. Um, and, and you talk a lot about masculinity also. Um, men, males that I talk to feel like they're less of a man um, when they can't develop uh, an erection or maintain, uh, especially with with a partner, and um, you know it's 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 a problem in our society that it becomes this thing that you know an erect penis is a, is a, a, the way that you you know demonstrate that you are a man, a strong man, and, and there's a lot of kind of references even politically that I've seen over the years with. Um, that kind of being brought up as a, a measuring stick, literally, of how masculine or how manly you are. Uh, it absolutely is pervasive. It's pervasive in the culture. It's 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 really hard to get away from that. And a lot of times, I think men who have not experienced or encountered erectile dysfunction don't realize or don't appreciate just how deep some of these constructs are actually embedded. Sometimes it takes that experience of erectile dysfunction to really kind of feel like the loss of that perceived notion of masculinity. And that can be really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. I want to come to just ask a little bit more, though, about um, the concerns that men have in particular with a female partner. What are some of the concerns that, that go through men's minds or what are some of the things that you've heard them express in particular if their partner is female? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I want to clarify too. I think that's a great point that you make that I never want to leave out same sex or non-coupled um, individuals uh, or asexual individuals, you know, sort of there's a lot of different uh, continuums that we could talk about that are related to this topic. Uh, but for the the main uh, concern I hear is, you know, the the relationship between if I can't perform, I'm not fulfilling her. She's going to look elsewhere. Uh, but part of that is that, you know, the the avoidance of. I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to kind of open that door or let her uh, open up that door so that if they see that something maybe, you know, a date night, if they're worried that date night is going to be a night where their partner might be expected, expecting them to perform, that they might even start being more withdrawn and avoidant over life situations, experiences, or conversations that are related uh, to sexual performance. And so they don't just withdraw from the bedroom. It becomes sort of this pervasive thing that they might not talk to their partner about certain topics or engage in certain sort of typical couple activities because they fear that it will turn into a situation and they won't be able to perform. Um, and that will make the relationship worse because they can't perform, but it really becomes this vicious cycle. Yeah. And, 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 and just speaking for a moment to, to the avoidance behavior, it can also come in, in forms that I've seen where a, man will uncharacteristically start to pick a fight um, knowing that the conflict is going to lead to distance. It sometimes is just a subconscious process mm -hmm. in order to not have to engage the partner. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that kind of stems back to the fears of not performing the fear of disappointing a partner, the fear that sometimes the partner, sometimes the fear is the partner will discover the erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon that the man knows what's going on, but really is trying to um, prevent the partner from finding out um, mm -hmm. because he's afraid of what might happen. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, all these things are are really important. Now, on the flip side, when that man is struggling with erectile dysfunction, what are some of the actual common thoughts and feelings that might be going through the woman's mind? In other words, men will come up with their own stories about what their partner is thinking or feeling. But what are some of the things that you've heard from the female partners in the situations in terms of what their perspective on the ED actually is? More of, um, I'm concerned about how he's feeling. I'm concerned that he feels alone. I'm concerned that he thinks I even care if he can perform or not. I care about him, but it's not that big of a deal to me. Um, What I find often is that Males are so afraid to talk about it. And the, the females, and depending on where people are in their relationship, it are like, oh, thank goodness, he's leaving me alone for a while. Um, and, and so, uh, no, I, I've seen that that conversation happen a lot, too, that, that women say, well, I don't know why he's so concerned that I'm concerned because, you know, now we're, uh, we're having more what I would expect of how much I want to be having sexual relations. You know, if, if he can only sort of get it up in, uh, you know, once or twice a month or maybe once or twice a year, that's way better for me anyway. Um, and so I think I always, I always feel like there's this sort of uh, there's this, there's this gap between what men or males think that women want and what women's conversations typically revolve around. And most of it's, uh, he won't leave his hands off me. I just want to sleep. And, and so um, it, it's very interesting that 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 conversation basically is is in the man's brain, but the female doesn't feel that way at all. Um, yeah. And, 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 and I think it's a common yeah. yeah, it's a common uh, misconception or distortion because um, more commonly there is a discrepancy in interest and desire that predated the loss of erection. Um, and oftentimes the female partner is saying, I'm actually okay with this, or it's something we can work with. Now, there certainly are women though, who, um, are the higher desire partners to start with. And, um, there absolutely can be an impact. Now, the role of erection, certainly from a male perspective seems to be like a central piece for partnered sexual activity. Now, in general, in, in in your work, have you found that to be true for female partners who may be a higher desire partner, may you know certainly be interested in keeping up a higher frequency of sexual activity? From the female perspective, how central is the erection to being able to facilitate the types of experiences that these partners want? I would say it's not central at all. More more uh, more females than not do not climax. Uh, during intercourse, uh, vaginal intercourse. I don't know what the data is, what the numbers are. And so for for most females, they want to uh, feel good and ideally climax, but often that doesn't happen during um, penis-vagina intercourse or um, if if they're using a a device or something, that that doesn't always happen with the intercourse. It happens more with other types of uh, manual stimulation. And so uh, a lot of females will say, uh, I, I don't even, the sex, the intercourse, I don't care that much about that. I just want to, um, I just want to climax. And that the easiest way to do that is not through intercourse for some females. So I think it's really interesting that there's that sort of discord, mm-hmm. not discord, I, but like that disagreement. I think that sometimes, um, couples actually discover, um, 
other ways of of you know stimulating a female partner when this encounter happens. I think because sex is a taboo topic, and you know, for for people who are working in the space like you and I, the notion of not talking about this with a partner seems kind of foreign. But I, I do think it actually is far more common than people realize. A lot of people don't talk about sex. They develop their scripts, they develop their routines. And it takes a moment like encountering erectile dysfunction or some other challenge that really forces the couple, number one, to communicate, and number two, to actually have to start deviating from the script. Um, So I know that there are couples out there who really only discover engaging in other forms of stimulation in a partnered setting when something like this happens. And a lot of times that can be to the benefit of the female partner as compared to penetrative sex. That's a really, really important point. Mm-hmm. Now, there are women who internalize the mm-hmm. their partner's erectile dysfunction, mm-hmm. and they see it as their fault or in inadequacy, something that they're not doing correct. Mm-hmm. Why does this happen? Why do you think that is, you know, given that erectile dysfunction is almost always driven by factors that are way beyond the partner's control? Well, so, you know, you've talked about this a lot too, and I I think this is a a very important point for females is that females often chalk it up to, excuse me, he's not attracted to me. Uh, Something's wrong with me and and I'm, and I'm not attractive to him anymore. And um, that happens, I think more than, more often than not. And that really sort of, at least as, as I work with people who are getting older over the years, for the most part, females have a more, a higher expectation as they age to continue to look or act younger. And so I've seen a lot of insecurities with women, um, especially after they have children or, you know, their bodies aren't working the same way, or they start to go through menopause, all of those changes that they're already uh, insecure or not feeling great about themselves as it is. That often, to me, timing-wise, often tends to coincide with the same age, uh, often 35 to 40, 35 to 40, of when erection uh, ED really starts to sort of be seen more often. And so I think it's actually, to me, I've seen it's a terrible mismatch in timing that she's having these biological processes and he's having these biological processes and both makes assumptions uh, and they both don't feel good about themselves, (laughs) excuse me, and they don't talk about it. Right. So you're saying that that oftentimes when when the female partner is grappling with her own aging process, doesn't feel great about herself. Um, when when the male partner, it, oftentimes age-wise is happening when the male partner is starting to encounter some erection challenges and that insecurity kind of opens the door to internalizing this. If I it was only, you know, looked like this or a couple pounds lighter, if I didn't have the wrinkles or, you know, whatever it might be, um, that the insecurity kind of plays into that and it really kind of grows from there. Now, mm-hmm. there clearly are a number of distorted beliefs, both in terms of the female partners, the male partners. What role do you think um, culture and society have played in reinforcing a lot of these misconceptions? So, uh, you know, especially from the male perspective, uh, as um, as there's been a lot of discussion in, in your prior episodes that just the uh, the expectation is that your you have uh, your penis is a sign of masculinity, and um, I, I do see that being pervasive the same way that you have seen it. That that's basically the sign of uh, of you being a, a male, and if you don't have 
what you perceive as a typical or better experience that you are less of a man and thus kind of less less of a person, less worthwhile in some ways. Um, and then for females, um, I think there's, and so you've, uh, the, the whole porn industry is such a problem. Um, it, you know, most people, if they've been exposed to porn, at least prior generations, people didn't see porn until they were in their 20s, maybe. Nowadays, with much younger children, you know, as early as I've heard of seven or nine children finding porn, they they get they grow up thinking that those are those are typical penis sizes. And that is such a big problem. <laughs> so that when people get to the bedroom, no one feels adequate. Um, and then same with females. Um, it is very true that the females we see getting all the attention in, in society are the ones that tend to be fit and thin and have large breasts, perky breasts, not post breastfeeding uh, breasts. And so uh, that is another part too, as the female is that it, it, the things that we see make us feel like we have to be more of, of the people on the screen or the people in our lives who are getting more attention. Yeah. You're saying it's that, that young fit, um, you know, well endowed appearance mm-hmm. that, that comes through, you know, pornography and, and plenty of other cultural references that you think definitely is playing a role in shaping, you know, some of the anxiety, some of the misconceptions, some of the fears uh, mm-hmm. that probably don't hold true. Now, shame and embarrassment are common with erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are your thoughts on how um, a man should go about addressing this? The shame and embarrassment? Well, um, uh, communication. I, I mean, this is stating the obvious here, but as we know, these are the most intimate experiences we have with another person, and we don't talk about it. I think if um, if males knew that women would be majority would be okay and more concerned about the person, uh, you know, I don't see a, a problem with most women if if uh, you know the the little blue pill. Um, if people if males were taking that. I don't know many females who would care uh, and they just want what makes him happy. And so I, I think that's a big part of it also is that the male is afraid of this little blue pill and he might secretly order supplies of different types of supplements. Um, and so I think having conversations about the um, the, the the options of medications are uh, really important, but you know, that's easier said than done, as you and I know. Otherwise, we we probably wouldn't have a career in this. And so a lot of what I focus on with couples is how to approach those conversations. How do we address them in safe spaces that don't feel so awkward and overwhelming and um, make it feel like we are in this together. It's awkward for both of us. And um, get, I like to give people very basic tools of how to start those conversations. And along those lines is also, how do we kind of rekindle our romance? How do we kind of get back to maybe that that maybe young love that we had where everything felt, you know, kind of exciting, exhilarating and new? There are absolutely great strategies um, for doing that as well. That That's all related, of course, to the sexual um, relationships. And there's a lot of uh, opportunities for people to rekindle and develop these, uh, these communications. And uh, as far as I've seen, both partners win. Uh, it's, it, they, I don't know of any couple who regrets opening this door to having more, um, comfortable and less awkward conversations. 
uh, from their perspective about sexual health and, and their connection. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's just that's really, really powerful. And I think, again, the communication piece is just so key because um, you know, I see this when I work with men as a male. Some of the things that I bring, which are, you know, factual and the statistics and whatnot, I see that it doesn't doesn't quite land as much as having the partner present. And when, you know, she is affirming some of the things and saying, yeah, like, that's how it works for me. Like, that's really what I'm interested mm-hmm. in. You see that there's just something so powerful, something that allows for for that that shame, the embarrassment, the fear to kind of just um, dissipate in, in a really powerful way. Now, Dr. Lee, just in wrapping up, if there was a single message that you could give to a man struggling with ED, what would it be? Uh, it would be that um, your impressions, your perspective, your assumptions are wrong more than more often than not. Uh, that's been my experience with you know penis size, with uh, how many times they're doing it, uh, with what what they're expecting, what they're not expecting. That a lot of times they're wrong, and and so I think that that door of communication really has to open. Um, and the one last thing I want to say related to that is I found that a lot of males and a lot of females don't actually know that much about their own body processes physiologically, but also especially don't know anything about the opposite sex's body and processes. And so just knowing those basics also, uh, I think really opens the door for a lot more comfortable and, um, and safe communications, especially if we're putting ourselves in the same playing field. Look, we're, it's awkward for both of us. Let's go through this together. Yeah, that is a a really powerful closing message. Dr. Lee, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.